0: Praise the Lord. It is good to be at East River Baptist Church. Turning your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Appreciate those kind words. They're humbling. Believe me. Somebody says, well, you know, you get to talking about a guy like, like that and you'll get him swelled up. No, uh, actually, usually it humbles you down. You want to crawl under a pew. And, uh, but I'll tell you, it's a blessing to uh, just be a part. I was out in the parking lot tonight before service and just talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm just thankful to be here. I'm just glad to be breathing your air, healthy enough to be in church tonight, be in this church, in this state, at this time, and uh, to have the Bible. What a, what a privilege, man. I'll tell you, uh, I remember there was a preacher we had in, and uh, he's very, uh, he makes a lot of jokes while he preaches, but he gives you something. And somebody was complaining one time, I think he jokes too much. Well, he really was just, it's just his personality flowing through him. And we were talking about that one time, and he said, You know, he said, I've seen enough rough days. Where I couldn't smile and he said so every chance I get to laugh and smile he goes I'm going to do it amen because I'll tell you the truth of the matter is uh, we were talking today when we were over your pastor's house we had lunch over there this afternoon and man it was just delicious and uh, just uh, enjoyed the food but I enjoy the fellowship even more and uh, we were talking about that verse in first Peter chapter 3 verse 15 and it says over there it says to be ready always uh, to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lieth in you. Now, we know that verse we quoted a lot, but have you ever thought about what that's saying? If You, you know when you give an answer? When somebody asks a question. So the, the thing that is convicting about that passage is does, any, does your Christianity stand out enough that people ask about it? What, what is different about you? What is going on? Why do you do that? Why do you believe that? Why, how can you be so calm in the midst of all of this. You know, that's how John Wesley was converted, by the way. John Wesley came to uh, there. Is it Charleston, South Carolina? Or uh, what is that place we were at? Savannah, South Carolina. Is that right? Anyway, Georgia. Georgia, right there, Savannah, Georgia. Anyway, it's right there by the South Carolina. You could see there was a historical marker where he preached his first message when he came to America. But did you know John Wesley was unsaved when he came here? And uh, you say, well, what, was the, what happened? On the way back across the Atlantic, he was a very holy living man. Yeah. He developed a thing at Oxford uh, called the Holy Club with George Whitfield and some of those things. It's interesting to read about those men, those great men used of God. He, had a, uh, he wasn't trying to deny the gospel. He just didn't understand it. And uh, he was on his way back over to England, and there was a great storm that came up, and there were some people on that ship... And they were of the Moravian persuasion, and you can read about this in in books. And uh, it looked like that nobody was going to live. I mean, the ship was rocking back and forth. These Moravians were relaxed and singing hymns. And Charles, or I'm sorry, John Wesley said he was terrified because he said, "I did not know what would happen to me if I died. I had nothing to hang on to." And he went to one of those Moravian ministers and he says, "How is it that you can sing? That you can be so?" In other words, he's asking a question because he's observing in those men's lives, those Moravians that knew the gospel and believed it. He's seeing something different and he had a question. How is it that you can be calm in the midst of a storm? And he, he asked him, he said, do you have the hope of eternal life in you? And uh, he said, uh, well, what do you mean? He says, who is Jesus Christ to you? He says, well, he is the savior of the world. And he says, well, who did he die for? He said, we well, died for the world. He said, did he die for you? And John Wesley said that he didn't get saved right there, but that troubled him because he said, I knew the verse that he died, God gave his son for the world, the sins of the world, but I couldn't answer that I knew personally that he died for me. And that is the difference yeah, yeah. going from gener- Listen, John three sixteen is a general statement that you must personalize for God so loved the world and he did and he died. And then in Ephesians 5, you find out it narrows it down. It says that he gave himself for the church. Okay, that's, that's even getting, that's a little narrower. But then it gets down to brass tacks in Galatians 2.20 when Paul says uh, he loved me and gave himself for me. You see, it's got to get personal. And so, you know, our Christianity ought to be of the type that, hey, what is that? What do you got? And so be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is within you. So I hope that our Christianity would be of the stripe that people would see a difference and want to know what the difference is, amen. Yes, yes. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to read with me a couple of classic verses you've heard him preach from, and I'm going to preach from them again tonight. My desire um, is to help. I, I have set under your pastor, and I'm not just saying this because he's watching right now. Uh, I'm saying this because this is in my heart. I have set. he's been at our church, at Bluegrass Pike, I saw him for the first time. I think the first time I heard Brother Hoots was in 2004 or five at Cornerstone Baptist Church, and uh, he, he never failed to make me think. He never failed to bring something from the Bible where I'm like, I want to be able to spot that stuff when I'm reading my Bible and studying my Bible. So your pastor's had a great influence on me as a preacher, even before I was a pastor, and uh, I appreciate uh, he's helped me through some, some places Not in the sense that I was uh, just some things that you don't even see about yourself that you find out that, oh, I I need to do better in that area to be a better pastor. And I know this, that I want, now that I have the privilege and the honor to be here in front of you, I want to help this church like he, your pastor, has come and helped us. okay I want you to leave not just saying, wow, that was great. What did he preach again? I want you to leave saying, I got a handful of something that's going to help me live my Christian life. And last year, if you recall... I preached a message on forgiveness and how it's crucial to forgive those that have trespassed against us. And we, we talked, that's a, that's a big subject. That's not as simple as it looks or what it sounds like. And we went through a lot of that. And some folks mentioned that I'm going to preach a part two of that message tonight, because if you recall, one of the things we looked at is unforgiveness in the life of a believer from Matthew 18 And we made a spiritual application of the passage where it says that you'll be turned over to the tormentors if you're unforgiving. And we saw that one of those tormentors is is the spirit of bitterness that takes root in people's lives. So look with me, if you will, Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 14 and 15 with me. The Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You don't have a peace about you and you don't have holiness in your life. Nobody's going to see the Lord in you. And he says, verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. So you can have a root of bitterness that troubles you, but it's going to spring up and it's going to Hurt others, even defile others. Sin never just has one victim. It bleeds out and it affects other people. Uh, that's why in 1 Corinthians 5, commonly reported sin that's out in the open, that's going on, that nobody, everybody's just ignoring, is, is like an infection. He says a little leaven leaven at the whole lump. I've had some people ask me about that. Uh, because there's been times where people have had to leave the church because they're in open sin and they have no intention of repenting. So someone comes, and again, this is us thinking our own thoughts. Remember yesterday we talked about trusting the Lord with all thine heart? So to trust in Him means what? The negative says, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In other words, the way you trust in the Lord is quit going by how you feel. Right. We saw last night that how you feel many times is, is wrong because <laughs> you're thinking wrong. Your thoughts affect your feelings. And so people say, well, wouldn't it be better to have these sinners in the church so they could hear the preaching? Friend, if you're born again and you're one of the saints, you've already heard the preaching. Right. And when you go off into sin, you know what you're doing. And if you hang around, you end up infecting other people. Yeah, that's right. So sin never just has one victim. It, it, it spreads like we heard in Sunday school about the leprosy bitterness is one of those things that's hidden down inside but it does spring up and it will defile many and i want to preach about the bondage of bitterness i want to be out of bondage don't you i want to have that free uh deal where we stand fast in the liberty wherewith christ hath made us free i want to know that kind of christian living so you got to be free from these things so let's pray one more time and ask the lord to meet with us tonight heavenly father thank you for this opportunity to be here. I thank you, Lord, for how you met with us yesterday. But yesterday is in the books, and today is a new day. Lord, uh, without you, I confess publicly, as I have confessed privately today, without you, I can do nothing. And Lord, I need your help. I want to be a blessing. I want you to use me, God, for your honor and glory to help this church. I thank you for the privilege of being here today and, and standing behind this pulpit and I pray, Lord, that what we're about to look at in the Bible, that you would be pleased to bless it and use it, and Lord, that you would help your saints tonight. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Bitterness is a deal that is more prevalent than anyone wants to talk about or admit. And I think that it kill. I know this bitterness when it's left unchecked and undealt with, we've already seen that it springs up and it defiles Many. It will cause problems in your life, and the first place that it's going to mess you up, it's going to trouble you, and you're going to lose your joy. We talked last night about having the peace of God. We know through the cross, we have peace with God. But listen, after coming there, I want to continue on with God, and I want to have the peace of God. It's a wonderful place to be when the rest of the world's falling apart, when everybody else is full of fear and don't know what to do, and, and they're hopeless and without Uh, joy and all that. I want to be living off that. He spoke of a river. Listen, Jesus Christ likened the Holy Ghost that would be in us after his resurrection. He likened that to a river. And I'm going to tell you something, when a river gets to rolling, you know what it does? It'll take the debris and wash it right out of the way. Okay, and he gets to flowing like that. I would like to be that kind of a channel. We sing a hymn sometimes called Channels Only, and it's talking about being a vessel that God can flow through so you can be a blessing to other people and you can be used of the Lord. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Bitterness can greatly dam up that river. And see, we're going to see, notice it said it was called a root of bitterness. See, roots are underground. We can't see them, but they're there and they show up. uh, What they're doing will show up above ground, if you will. There was a lady, the story is told that her and her husband bought a house, an old house. This was years ago. And she had some kind of problem with these nasty brown moths that just kept showing up in the corner's of the, of the house and the rooms. And it was disgusting. They're the type that, you know, when you kill them, they leave a big brown smear, powder smear on the wall. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, uh, it's just bad. And so she sprayed for them and they went, you know, kill a lot of them and, and have lots to sweep up. But then they kept showing up and they'd be in the window. It just gross. you know, I Don't want to have a bunch of moths flying around, you know, and all that in your house. And, So she's trying to spray. She's trying to... They even replaced some of the walls. They thought maybe something, you know, uh, was going on with the old wall. They replastered things. They just kept working and working. And the moths just kept showing up. And some of you have been trying to have uh, the peace of God and to live in that place where uh, there's peace and joy. But the moths, the things that are agitating, keep showing up and you're trying to do some things and it doesn't seem to be working. She finally went to the basement and she remembered that, that the people that had moved out had left one chest downstairs. And, and she, it was an old chest. You couldn't get it open. So she finally got a hammer, a sledgehammer, and went to work on the top of that thing. And when she busted that chest open, thousands of those brown moths came out because it had a big nest in there. Once she picked the chest up and got the problem out of the cellar, she moved it out, took it outside, cleaned up the mess... The, the moths were taken care of because there was something hidden and it was still in the house. She was cleaning, but she wasn't going to get rid of the moths because it was an inside problem and she was dealing with symptoms, if you will. She was dealing with the residue. You got to go to the heart of the problem. You got to get to the root of the problem. You got to get what's causing, where are the moths coming from? Where's the depression? Where's the bitterness coming from? Listen, where's the lack of joy? Where's the lack of power? It usually comes because there's a root of bitterness. So I'm going to give you four things about bitterness tonight. Notice, as I mentioned already, verse 15 says, the Bible likens bitterness to the root of bitterness. In other words, it's covered. You cannot see roots. Roots are hidden, but they are nourished, and they establish growth to whatever is springing from it. Webster's 1828 defines bitterness this way. In a figurative sense, it's extreme enmity, a grudge, hatred, an excessive degree of passions and emotions, such as the bitterness of anger. In other words, it's an attitude. And and I like the fact that they use the word grudge, because usually those go hand in hand. Now, its beginnings are this. It's when we've been offended... Or trespassed against. Listen, whether real or imagined. Okay, it doesn't matter. We're dealing with the fact that you feel like someone's offended you. And can I tell you, the devil works. He's subtle. And he knows how to go to work on good churches like this one. This church will be as good as you make it. You're not here. Too many people have this entitlement mentality in America that I come in. What can you do for me? We need to flip that around, go back to John F. Kennedy's inaugural speech in January of 1961 and say, ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. You ought to come in saying, all right, I am here to serve. I'm going to get the money. This place is only going to be as good as I help make it. And I'm going to tell you, the devil knows that he can get people offended. He can get people frustrated. He can get people uh, a, a trespassing against one another, whether real or imagined. And here's the problem: we've learned how to become victims. People are so sensitive. There's a sign I, I need to get it and put it in the front of the pulpit. I probably won't do it. But the sign says, "I'm not mean. You're just a sissy." But we got this. Everybody's just all sensitive. You got they're teaching how to say things just right, so it's not to offend somebody. Boy, for preachers, we're we're just out on that one. We're going to preach the Bible, but here's what causes, here's what causes bitterness. The definition of it is it's that, that hatred, that grudge, that bitterness that comes in the heart with an offense or a trespass, whether real or imagined. And here it is. It's not the size of the sin against us that creates the bitterness. It's the proximity of where it comes from. Okay. In other words, you, you typically, you're not, I'm not bitter Uh, at people that I really don't know. I might know, about. you know, I know about the war in Ukraine. I know about the leaders over there. I know about uh, Putin and all that. And they may anger me and I think, I don't like their policies, I don't like that. But I'm not bitter at them. say, why? Because I don't know them. They've not done anything. Bitterness comes usually uh, because of the closeness of the people that do it. Bitterness springs up between family members. Church members, spouses, children and parents, co-workers, friends, roommates, pastors, and church folk. That's where bitterness breeds. Why? Because it's, it's the proximity, it's the closeness of people that calls the bitterness because uh, that's just the way it works. When Jonah, uh, what happened with Jonah in Jonah chapter 4, he said he did well to be angry. He was bitter. He was angry because God, whom he was close to, saved some people, spared some people that he couldn't stand. He was bitter about that. Uh, You you read in the book of Ruth how that, uh, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She had lost people in death. She had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons just 10 years previously. So she was bitter in her heart about some things. And in Ephesians chapter 4, listen, says that we're to put away certain things. One of the things that's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, if you'd like to look at it, Ephesians chapter 4, talking to born-again believers, when it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed in the day of redemption. What is it that that grieves God? What is it that we do? Well, he lists some things in that context. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he goes on to say, Let all bitterness Look what's connected to it in the context. And wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then, once again, there's the negative, but look what the Holy Spirit does. He leads the Apostle Paul to write now the flip side of the coin. And here's what you replace it with. We heard about that yesterday. When you get rid of something, you put something away. There needs to be something to come in and fill that vacuum. So the Bible says, okay, put away your bitterness, your evil speaking of one another, put away your hatred, put away your malice, put away your wrath, put away your clamor. And he says, and instead be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We do a thing on Sunday nights. I learned it watching there, sitting for years at Cornerstone. We line up the kids. Uh, that can get up there. Some of them come up three and four years old on up to the age of 12 and they come up and they I, I kneel down with the microphone and they do Bible verses. And you never know what's going to happen with children. That's what's exciting. God blesses them because there is no filter. There is no guile with children. So uh, they're just going to say whatever they're going to say. I remember coming down the hallway one time and uh, there was a little boy and I said, is your mom and brother not here tonight? He says, uh, no, let's see. I said, where are they at? He goes, let's see, tonight oh yeah, tonight they're sick. I was like, okay. So he kind of let me know that that's what we tell. When you get to church, tell pastor that we're sick. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so whatever's going on, he would just tell the truth about it. Kids can get you in trouble. You want to find out what's going on at home, just teach a Sunday school class of four and five-year-olds. Amen. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we're sitting there one night, and there's this, these little girls, uh, Jubilee Brown, and uh, uh, Meridian Brown is her, her sister, about a year or two older. And uh, Jubilee is a sweet, just a fat-cheeked little girl, I mean, you could just squeeze her up and hug her and kiss her. I mean, she's just sweet as she can be. And so she's standing there in line, and I'm giving some announcements. I kneel down, and she's walking up to the mic, smiling at me. Well, her sister must have been crowding her too much. And so, man, she turned around, and she says, get off me. Then she turned around, and she says, be ye kind one to another, (laughs) tenderhearted forgiving one another even i said this girl is a baptist already she hasn't even taken the new members class and she knows how to do it (coughs) and then quote scripture after knocking your sister your brother right right in the face you know that's the way it goes so the bible says get a divorce from these attitudes and and because you said divorce did he did the preacher just say get a divorce that's what i said i didn't say get a divorce from your spouse i said get a divorce from these things that are in hidden in your heart That are creating these problems. So he says let all bitterness. Bitterness is a sin. And the definition that I gave you is what it is. We're not supposed to be that. Roots are hidden underground. But they get their nourishment from topside. And listen to me. I want to say this. This is not the message tonight. But it needs to be said. Sometimes bitter people that have roots of bitterness. Bitterness is connected to evil speaking. Be careful who you help along in their bitterness. You could be nourishing roots of bitterness in that person's heart. You say, how do you do that? Well, the Bible says, a forward, a forward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Do you know how many times when someone is bitter, we'll see later in this message, they're looking for someone to tell. So the nursery is a place... Of great satanic activity. And I'm not talking about our kids. I'm talking about you get in there. And you're bitter. Nobody else can see it. But that root is down there. And it begins to spring up and defile many. And you say you know. Don't you don't have, when someone says you know. Don't repeat this. <laughs> look out Duck. Because you probably don't need to hear it. You know, I'm going to preach a message one day, not on the tongue, but on the ear. Okay, Because the tongues would dry up if they did not have a place to deposit their trash. You listening to it is a problem. And so people get in there and they begin to spew their bitterness. And many times people will say, well, you know, you know how they are. You know, I know. Well, let me tell you the situation I had with them, and that's just the way she is, and she's just always gonna be that way because she thinks she's something else, and you know, Brother Roger doesn't see it. But I'm glad that uh we do. And so we'll just know how to handle her from now on. <laughs> that's it. It's true. We do that stuff, and you got you kind of make a joke about it, and what's funny is because it's, it's so true. Yeah. And see that bitterness is being spread. And what you're doing is you're throwing fertilizer because here's the thing. You know what will happen to pastors? And I'm going to get down and get gritty tonight on this because that's what will help a church. People will come to a pastor and they think that I've got, they'll come and they'll say, well, I want to tell you about something, just some things that are troubling me. Okay. And you sit down and they start off by saying, people are saying, who? Well, I can't say. Well, you're not here to represent anyone else. You're here to tell me what's on your heart. Now, what that means is me and the woman that I was gossiping with, I, I told something to someone and I put my spin on it and they agreed with me. Therefore, they're as frustrated as I am. That's the mentality. And, and I know this is not fun, shout her out kind of preaching, but this will help you in the long run. Okay. So bitterness is a problem. It's a sin. And it says we're to put it away and we're to replace it with kindness and mercy and grace. The Bible goes on, it said early in the chapter, forbearing one another. You know what that means? That word forbear, means to put up with one another because none of us have made it yet tonight. None of us are glorified, not yet. And so that means we're all a work in progress. And so don't be so sensitive and don't be so quick to get bitter at someone. So that's what bitterness is. And sometimes that root, it's hidden, but it comes out through what people say. And if you're not careful, you'll add to what they're saying and it will help to fuel and to fertilize their root. Number two, there's deception about bitterness. And here's why. Bitterness is deceptive. Why? Because listen, the adversary has a toolbox of devices. He's got lots of different tools. The Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. He's got a toolbox and he knows which tool to use on who, but there's some that work on a lot of people real easy. And I think bitterness is one of the ones he works overtime to stir up and to cultivate in your heart. You say, why is that? Well, I can tell you that if bitterness grieves the spirit of God, you cannot grieve the spirit of God and walk in the spirit of God at the same time. It's an impossibility. Your pastor taught me to, to, to walk in the spirit means you acknowledge that he's there and then you agree with what he says. Amen. God. And, and, and so you can't, you can't be saying, well, yeah, but in this case, bitterness is there, it grieves the spirit of God and the devil knows how to use that. Here is the deception about bitterness. We've seen the definition. It's hatred, resentment in the heart that is nursed and it's underground. But the deception of bitterness is this. It is a deceptive sin for this reason. If you were to steal something today, I hope you didn't, but I'm just saying, if you did as a Christian, you would immediately feel guilt because you know theft is wrong. If you told a lie and deceived someone today, you would feel guilt. The thing about bitterness that's so deceptive is it doesn't feel wrong. In fact, bitterness, the more you tell people your narrative of what happened, whatever it is, and the more they agree with you, just helps concrete you, if you will, and and crank down in that position that you're in that is against God and against walking in the Spirit. Bitterness feels right. It does not feel wrong. It feels justified And you have the evidence file to prove it. And so it's deceptive. Why? Because you think, well, you don't understand what they did. And you don't know the scenario. You don't know the situation. And so the deceptiveness of it is the fact that it feels right. It doesn't feel wrong. You have to go to the Bible let the Spirit of God say, no, it's wrong. Because God says it's wrong. You're to put that away. You don't believe wrath and hatred is right. Well, bitterness is a fruit of that. It's a root of it, if you will. And maybe the hatred and the anger is the fruit of that root called bitterness. But God says, you've got to put that away. You can't have the peace of God. Your Christianity is not going to be attractive. It's not going to be desirable as long as you're hiding that down in there. And bitterness has a way of showing up. But the deceptive part of it is it just feels right. I know people that are bitter and they're still bitter and they have no joy, no peace, and yet they, they, they don't, they want someone to stand up and say, you're so right, you're so right, you've been done so wrong. Hey, listen, could you ever possibly be sinned against more than your Redeemer was when he was here on earth? Is there any possibility that somebody could treat you worse than the way they treated our Lord Jesus Christ? I may have told you the story of Samuel Harris back in Virginia, back in the 1700s. He had a man that lived next to him, a neighbor. They both had farms. Samuel Harris was greatly used of God in revivals. And he was traveling all the time, preaching revival and all these things. And uh, he did not, he was not able to tend his field. He didn't have a big crop and winter was approaching. They lived hand to mouth back then. He went and his neighbor had borrowed money. He had loaned his neighbor money. He went to that neighbor and says, I need, when are you going to pay that loan back? I need that money. I don't have anything to feed my family. And he said, "Uh, well, he said, you should have tended your fields. He goes, you've been out running around preaching at these churches. And he basically knew that Samuel Harris was a man of the book, that he would not sue him. He said, if you want your money back, you'll have to sue me to get it. Because he thought, I've got him. He'll not sue me so I can just have that money. And he said, well, what you could do is you could pay me in, in some of your wheat harvest, I could use that. He says, no, that's mine. He said, you'll have to take me to court. And so he was just, you talk about a trespass, he was going to trespass. And this meant this man's family might not have food. Because back then, they said the offerings were very small if you got one at all. But he was interested in the work of God, and Samuel Harris was always traveling. So finally, he went out and he prayed about it, and God showed him what to do. He said, what did he do? Did he get bitter? No. No, he didn't. And he he left town, he wrote out uh, a receipt, and he put on there, paid in full. Handed it to that that neighbor's servant on his way out of town, said, give this uh, to him uh, for me. On his way back into town a week later, that neighbor saw him and came out and said, what's the meaning of this? He said, paid in full. He goes, I'm I'm not going to pay this back unless you take me to court. He said, I heard what you said, and I have sued you in court. He said, well, I haven't heard anything. He said, no, I didn't sue you down here, I sued you in the court of heaven. He says, I went to the Lord and I told him what you did. And the Lord promised me in prayer that he would take care of me and my family this winter and that he would settle up with you on the day of judgment. And so that guy, they said that afternoon, his slave started carting the wheat over to his neighbor's house and paying his debt. And what I'm saying is here, here's the point. Bitterness isn't going to help you to get the thing resolved. Bitterness is only going to steal your joy. And it's deceptive because you're going to sit around swelled up in church service after church service. And you're going to go month after month and year after year doing nothing for God. And you're going to be sitting there with your arms crossed going, nobody knows what they did to me. Because it feels right to be bitter. That's the deceptive part of it. Don't be that way. So here's how you say, well, I'm not bitter. And everybody at this point in the message will jump off the wagon and say, no, I'm not bitter. I'm definitely not bitter. Well, here's the detection of bitterness. You know, we got uh, carbon monoxide detectors, because you know why you have to have a carbon monoxide detector? Because you can't always detect. You never can. You can't smell it. can't see it. So you don't know it's there. So you're going to have something to warn you because it's a killer. So I'm going to give you a way to detect the detection of bitterness. How can you detect it? How can you find it in your life? There is a way to detect it. You say, well, what is that? Well, we are professional people at justifying ourselves. You remember the lawyer with our Lord Jesus in Luke 10? When he asked him a legitimate question, but he asked it with the wrong heart. And the Lord said, well, what do you, how do you read in the law? What do you, what's it say? Tell me, what saith the law? You tell me how readest that and he said well and he gave the right answer and he says good this do and thou shalt live and immediately says the holy spirit says but he willing to justify himself ask another question well who is my neighbor he just wanted to get out he didn't want to have to you know deal with anybody and that's how we are we like to get out underneath that conviction by asking another question so what's the detection of bitterness how can you know that you're bitter number one it will remember details about conversations because of the amount of times you've gone over it in your head. Now, you know how you memorize scripture? You go over it and over it and over it and over it until you got it memorized. You know how you memorize a poem? You go over it and over it. You know how you know all the songs to, or all the words to the songs from the 1960s and 70s because you've heard it over and over and over and you—it's just review, constant review. And you're bitter if you can tell me the details and the facial expressions and all the all the stuff that you've because you've gone over it in your mind over and over. Remember, we talked last night about your thought life. And that's what you think on. You think on what they said, and so what you do is you run every statement they made through the bitter filter. And it'll affect it. We've got a Berkey water filter. When you pour that water up there, I can't just personally tap water. is like, ugh, you're not supposed to be able to taste water. And you put it in those Berkey filters. It goes down through that charcoal and those things, and it it drains out everything. But there's also a bitter filter that things that don't even really aren't intended to be offensive, you pour them in there, and once they go through the bitter filter, somehow they get turned around. Everybody can have a bitter filter. Not a Berkey, but a bitter Get rid of that bitter one, get a Berkey, amen. I mean, people that brought up things to me when they're trying to prove to the pastor about who's got a problem and who doesn't, they bring up stuff that was said 10 years ago. And you're like, let it go. That's no place to live. So if you can remember the details. Then number two, it will seek sympathizers. Bitterness. You say, how do you know that? Job 7 verse 11, the word of God says this. He says, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. When you're bitter and that root that's underground that nobody can see, we know you're bitter because you can recall details. And you like to tell everybody about the details. Clovis Chapel, an old-time Methodist preacher, said this. He said, bitter people, listen, have an almost irresistible tendency to lie. When you're bitter, you want to prove your point. And so when you retell it, you'll just put a little spin on it. Because after all, you're justified in feeling the way you feel. And you want to be sure that other people feel the way you do about that person or that situation. And so you have this irresistible tendency to lie about what really went on. And pretty soon, you know what, I'm convinced I can't prove this scripturally yet. I've just watched it. I think if you lie to yourself long enough, you begin to believe it yourself. And you know what? I'd rather get a cold bucket of water in my face now than to show up at the judgment seat of Christ and have all this stuff broken open before me. Now, you know, I don't want your evidence filed. I told you last year in that sermon on forgiveness. I know I told you the story about Corey Tenboom where she had someone had done something, she was bitter at them. And she, when someone said, You need to get over that, she said, Oh, I can prove that what they did was wrong. And she went over to pull out all the, the proof. And he said, You need to get rid of that. God doesn't remember our sins against us, does He? So why do we keep files? Maybe you don't have file cabinets with it, but you got the file cabinets up here. And I want you to turn over with me. I want you to see this one. Here's another detection. How to detect bitterness. It's a little cool in here tonight in a good, in a, in a spiritual kind of way. And that's usually because there's, the Lord's trying to deal with something. Okay, so listen to what he's got to say. It's not, brother, i I don't know anything about anything that's going on. I just know what the Bible says and it knows us, does it not? Turn to 2 Samuel 13. I want you to see this. Here's the third way to detect bitterness. Number one, it recalls details. Number two, it cannot help but tell other people about what's going on. And number three, it dreams and fantasizes and rehearses the thing, and it fantasizes about revenge and evening the score. And there's a perfect example in the story in 2 Samuel of Absalom and Amnon. In 2 Samuel 13, look down, if you will, in verse 22. You know the story, Amnon had defiled Absalom's sister. It was an ugly situation. And Absalom, the Bible says in verse 22, Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because uh, he had forced his sister Tamar... And it came to pass after two full years. The hatred there is another word, it just describes bitterness. He didn't talk good, he didn't talk bad, he plotted for two full years, turning that fire over in his mind. And that fire and that root, if you will, of bitterness just continues to strengthen and take root, and that fire gets to burning hotter. And, and, and bubbling up in his heart because he is plotting his revenge. You know what people will do in church? They'll quit talking to somebody. Right. And when you say, hey, you know, how is it between you and so-and-so? There's nothing going on between us. Well, are you guys talking? No, we don't talk. I asked one man one time, I said, Have, uh, I, said I heard brother so-and-so, because I, I told, I was trying to mediate between two brothers that were not getting along. And, uh, and I told the brother, I said, just be the bigger man. Just go to him and say, hey, brother, let's talk. After work, let's meet over big dogs. Sit down and talk. I don't understand what it is that has come between us. And, uh, and so the brother went and did what I suggested he do. And he called me and he goes, it did not go well. And I'm like, why? Why can it? How can it not go well? Between two men that have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. So I met with the man that it didn't go well with. I said, I heard it didn't go well. He goes, no. He goes, I'm done. I'm like, over what? It was over nothing. It really was. Now, in his mind, because his wife told him it was a big deal. And I said, man, that, that's not the attitude that Christians take. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to do nothing wrong to him. I'm just, I'm just done with him. You can't be that way. Listen, Absalom for two years, he, you could have stopped Absalom in the hallway and said, hey, are you and Amnon getting along? Oh, I ain't saying nothing good or bad to him. What's the deal? I ain't doing nothing wrong. I ain't got nothing to say. I'm just neither good, neither bad. In other words, he's not talking to him, but in his heart, he's got a deep seated hatred. And when Christian, you're just kidding yourself. You think God's going to bless a vessel and work through a vessel like that? Okay. And so, what's he do? It says it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears and. Belhazor, which is beside Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. So for two years, he plotted what he was going to do. We know that it, it, he finally came to the place where he had plotted for two full years. He hadn't said anything. You couldn't have called him before to a council of his peers and proved that, hey, you're plotting something in your heart. But that bitterness was down in there, and that hatred was boiling in his heart. He spoke neither good, neither bad for two full years. Do you think Absalom was enjoying the peace of God for two full years? No, he was just trying to figure out how I'm going to even the score my way. So that's, that's how you know, that's how you know when bitterness is taking root, you're looking to, you're looking to do that. Listen, you don't have to have a gun. You don't have to shoot off a gun to kill somebody. You can just shoot off your mouth. It's interesting to me that in first Peter chapter four, verse 15, that when it mentions thieves and murderers, then it mentions busybodies in the same list because they steal people's reputation and, and and put people to death that way. Hatred, according to 1 John three fifteen, is murder. So what I want to talk to you about fourthly is, okay, preacher, I see what you're saying. I see that the, the definition of bitterness is you're offended because someone close to you did something, said something, hurt you in some way. And that root has taken underground nobody can see it but it starts springing up it's troubling you like it troubled absalom and you you pointed out preacher that it's deceptive because we don't look at it as sin we think we're justified and we can detect bitterness because we have gone over it in our minds and over it in our minds and we've told other people about it because we want them to side with us and then we plot in our minds what we would do and and god is nowhere to be seen in any of And we wonder why the music and the singing doesn't affect us. And we wonder why we don't get a blessing out of the preaching. And we wonder why God doesn't seem to use us like he once did. It's because he knows what's down in your heart. It's called bitterness. So how can you get deliverance? Well, it's real simple. You got to put it away. The world might tell you, listen, they might tell you to suppress it. Just pretend like it's not there. Well, if sin is like leprosy, if it's like a disease then suppressing things and pretending like you're not sick is not the answer right some might tell you well uh spread it around you know tell everybody about well we already said that's not good you don't want to spread your sickness do you so what do we do well you know something god has given us a book a mirror to look into i remember years ago there was a i don't know what it was there's a some kind of a meter down in the corner, front corner of our yard. And it was 100 degrees and middle of July. And I was out there mowing and there was this, uh, some kind of a vine that kept springing up and, and, and it would come out and it had thorns on it and, and fuzzy things. It was, it was just nasty looking. I don't know what it was. It looked like something out of Egypt, you know. And I thought, we gotta get rid of this. So finally one day, I, you know, one time I took and tried to cut it off at the top and you, I did, but it just came back thicker and stronger so I stopped the mower and and I leaned down I took a little spade and I kind of put on it under, thought I could pop it right up out of there and I couldn't do it I mean I was digging around there and I'm like wow this this thing is there's these this root runs deep so I went and got a shovel and a can of gas because we're going to do business okay it's hot I'm sweating and this 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 is coming I'm going to win this one I mean it was always it was like that root was mocking me like you ain't gonna get me out of the ground I'm here to stay It's like, no, this is my property, and I'm fixing to get rid of you. And I took it personal. And I remember that I even broke a shovel because I got down in there, and I'm leaning back on that, and you can hear some of those those smaller roots snapping. That felt good. I mean, you know, and I finally got down underneath that root ball, and bam, I got, I mean, I pulled a root ball that thick up out of there, and I turned it up toward the sun to let that sun just cook it right there in the 98-degree heat. And you know something, when you've got a root of bitterness in you, you've got to take it personal. Yeah. I want this right. out. Right. You can't just cut it off at the top. It's going to come back and it's going to spring up and many are going to be defiled. Aren't you tired of being defeated? Yeah, right. Aren't you tired of being empty and depressed and irritable? Yeah. Aren't you tired of feeling like you're the, uh, the point of the illustration of every sermon? Yeah. Aren't you tired of not being used by God? Aren't you? When are you going to get hungry to live the Christian life the way it was designed to be lived? Then just just say, hey, you know what? This is true. I got a root of bitterness down in my heart. And listen, what do you do? How do you get delivered from it? You go to work on it with the word of God. Just admit that it's there. I think one of the, the healthiest things you can do is to go to the throne room. That you go there through the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ. And you know what you do go in there. And I've told our teenagers before at teen camp, I said, you got a big gym bag full of smelly things, uh, old, sweaty, nasty socks and t-shirts. Just unzip that, turn it inside out, dump it out before God say, this is all my mess. This is mine. I did this. I did that. This is mine. And I'm coming clean with you. Listen, don't cover anything, deny nothing, excuse nothing. Cover nothing. Dump it all out before God and say, here it is. This is what I've done. I have nursed a root of bitterness. And you know what your word says? I'm going to agree with what your Bible says. It says, I am to put this away. I am not justified in feeling this way. See, we're not... It's just like last year. We talked about that forgiveness thing. These things go hand in hand. Because we're not saying that somebody didn't mistreat you. You, you, your response of bitterness is a sin that's what we're talking about we're not talking about what they did or did not do you say well if something just happened and they were just if they just died then i would get over it i'm going to tell you something bitterness will not die with the person you're bitter at i'm going to tell you how i know that a missionary told the story he was visiting in italy a preacher told that he was visiting a missionary in italy And he said, we would set out on the deck every morning where this man stayed. And he said, there was a path that went up the hill. And he said, every morning I would see a woman. He goes marching up there. And he said, where's she going? He goes, I see her every morning. We're out here reading our Bible. He goes, she's going up to visit a cemetery. He says, every day goes, there must be somebody up there. She really loved. He says, no, there's someone up there. She really hated. He said, what are you talking about? He goes, there's, there's a person up there. And she goes up every morning to start her day by spitting on their grave. So she was bitter at whoever that was. I have no idea the story other than that's what she did. And that person died. But her bitterness did not. And it continued to eat away at her. And the person's off the earth. They're not even here anymore physically. And so my point is this. You've got to deal with it. Bring it out before God. Tell him what happened. Tell him the details. But say, God, what I'm detecting here is that I go over this thing and over this thing and over this thing until I found my spirit. I have no joy and I'm responding to this trespass, this offense. Unscripturally, it's sin. It grieves your spirit. And I'm bitter. And so bring it out before God. Confess that you're bitter. Confess it for what it is, that it's sin. And you know what he is? Faithful and just. To forgive and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You say, what do I do? Well, like what we talked about last year. And then in front of God, you don't have to go to them, but you can go to God and say, God, I release them from all of that. That's what forgiveness is. No debt, not holding it against anybody anymore. You say, well, and remember our lesson last year on forgiveness. That doesn't justify what they did. What you're doing is you're opening the doors for God to come in and work on you and work on them. Nobody gets away with anything. You understand? Okay, so you releasing them only releases you, okay? And it releases you from being bitter. And you know, what it does, you say, well, that's not, it it doesn't make reconciliation, but it's kind of like this. If you're going to reconcile with someone, you got to meet in the middle. You know what your forgiveness does when you confess your bitterness for sin, the sin that it is, it's like laying the sidewalks out, if you will, out to the middle so that if they ever come out, you can meet them there. You've already laid that down. Because what you'll say is, well, if they, if they will get right, I will not be bitter anymore. And if they'll just come and apologize. No, you know what bitterness does? If someone does man up and come and apologize, because your heart is full of bitterness, you will, you will spray your poison bitterness on them. And here's how I know. I have, I've heard, heard people who tried to apologize. And a Christian person says, well, I accept your apology, but, and then they proceed to read them the riot act. That's not accepting an apology. That's putting your foot on their throat and saying, well, I'll accept that apology after I get a pound of flesh and an ounce of blood. That's how Christians are. And it's no wonder there's no revival going on. Okay. So no, if you don't deal with your bitterness, when they do come to get right, you'll still be bitter and you'll spew that bitterness on them. You cleanse your heart of the bitterness. Let the word of God get down under that root ball. And let listen, I can hear it tearing up out of your heart. It's a little painful. But boy, then you can just turn it up toward the sun. and He'll dry it up. And you can release them from their debt. And you just lay that out there. Listen, I had a, a preacher that uh, he did me wrong. No doubt about it. It wasn't terrible. But at the time, it, it was a little hurtful. And you get to going over that. Okay, so I, I'm... I'll use myself as an illustration, I was a little bitter because I would go over things and I'd think, and then later on I'd see something that would remind me of him, and I'd go over what he said and just different things that I felt like, all this stuff and I finally realized one day I went out and, and I, was, I was frustrated and I, I wasn't enjoying what I was doing as a pastor, now nobody knew it but me and I told Heather one morning and I may have told you some of this last year, I I told her, I said, I'm, I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to have my phone with me. Phone's off, and I'm driving my truck. I told her where I was going, and I said, I'm going to get out. i got about a mile walk. I'm taking a backpack full of bottled water. I'm taking my Bible and a good book, and I'm going for the day, and I'm going out there to pray, and I'm going to fast today, and I'm going to drink some water, and I'm just going to get out there, and I got some, I'm going to talk to the Lord and bring to Him some things that are, that are hurting me. And I asked the Lord, bring to my mind people that I'm bitter about. And I remember thinking, I'm not, I'm not bitter at anybody. And he brought three names to my mind just like that. And I said, wow. And he said, well, you're really not bitter. You need to tell God. No, if you ask the Holy Spirit to bring people to your mind, he will do that. If, 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 that, if you really want the truth, he'll bring to you. So don't argue with what the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. So I had that notepad and I wrote that stuff down. And I said, Lord, I'm bitter at this person. And that's what they did. But you know what, Lord? It's sin for me to be bitter. I'm a pastor. I've got a high calling. Like Spurgeon said, if God's called you to preach, why stoop to be a king? So I said, Lord, I'm privileged to be a pastor and a preacher. I can't preach with this junk going on in my heart. And I want it out. And and that person has not done anything close to hurting me like people did to you. And, Lord, I'm just really, I'm just just big sissy. (laughs) And so I forgive that man, Lord, and help me, I pray, to forgive him fully like you've forgiven me. I'm not going to hold it against him. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to forget about it. I'm, I'm, releasing him from all of that. I did that. And it was about a year later, I'm driving down the interstate and the phone rings and it's that man. I haven't heard from him for a long time. And, uh, I opened the phone and said, Oh, he said, Hey brother, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. And we made small talk for a couple minutes. You know what he said to me? He said, I'm calling you for one reason. He said, I'll just get right to the point. He said, brother, what I did was wrong it was wrong. He goes, how I handled that, what I said, what I did, it was wrong. And brother, I'm just calling to ask if you would forgive me. Now, when he said that, I remember I I was driving down the road, the tears, because it's like, you talk about a clean conscience. I said, brother, it's like one judge said one time when a man wrote and asked for an apology, he said, forgiven, forgotten, forever. That was the three-word answer he got I told him that day, I said, brother, you'll never hear me mention it. It's all clear. I said, if I can ever do anything to help you, let me know. Thank you for calling today. And he was happy and I was happy Amen. because I had already in my heart gotten rid of that bitterness. Yeah. Wasn't worth it. Yeah. So when he called my heart and my, my conscience is already clear. I called her. She cried over the phone. I said, listen, you're never going to guess who called in this wonderful friends of ours. P- members of the body of Christ washed in the blood of Jesus Christ going to the same heaven I'm going to. Amen. Stay on the same in the same army, on the same team. And I'm going to tell you there is no fresher more wonderful feeling in your heart knowing that it's all clear and then when he did come, I've already laid the sidewalk out to meet him. I don't have to start laying sidewalk blocks. I've already laid them out there waiting for him to come. And in the meantime, I'm standing here, sidewalk's been laid, waiting for him to lay his sidewalk and meet me in the middle, but if he never does, I'm not bitter. I don't have to sit there and, and, and be sour and, and going over all that stuff. Hey, like I said, I know this is not uh, hey, glory to God. Good to be saved. It is good to be saved. What I'm saying is this. This is that brass tacks down in the dirt kind of stuff that is no fun to deal with. But I'm telling you, bitterness will stop the power and the river and the flow of God in your life. And I see it in every church. It doesn't matter where you preach. There are people that are bitter for things that have happened. In churches or in different things and hey just get over it and enjoy whatever amount of life God has left for you don't spend it being bitter spend it amen in the work of the Lord with a clear conscience and a clean heart do you have the root of bitterness in you tonight this message was for you you can detect it pretty easy going over things waiting to tell somebody about what they did feeling justified in all of that one way to be delivered you say how's that just go before God tell him you're bitter admit it tell him what happened and say take it away from me I'm giving it I'm turning this over to you releasing those people from what they owe me and you know something God is faithful he is faithful and he'll help you because you know something if you're going to serve God he's going to be sure that you get bumped on He's going to make sure you get, it's always a test to see, will you trust me to to help you? Will you call on me for some grace? Or will you try to handle this on your own? I can tell you right now, you don't want to try to handle it on your own. That doesn't end well. But he's going to make sure, these are testing things, this is the way to grow. Just get honest, quit covering it up, pretend like that root's not down in there. Amen. Let's all stand, brother. Would you come?